Well, I'll tell you what I did. I got so excited to have Jerry Hoffman up here, I forgot to record him. So there's no record of his sermon except for in your brain. Well, which is good because I know that it was impactful. There was one sentence he stated that kind of pierced me through. And uh, I've been kind of thinking what's coming is coming and it's not here. So, you know, we're going to listen to him once again. And, it's, and you're saying, oh, well, how many have ever heard a sermon before the second time and you got something out of it? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. How many of you heard a sermon before that you were sleeping and then you woke up for the second time around? <laughs> Amen. All right. Okay. So now the problem is, is that I stayed up till a little after midnight last night. So uh, I did turn the button on. We are recording. The dim-offs from Texas, the Kaikalas from Portland are on, and there's uh, several others. And so thank you for showing up and thank you for being gracious and forgiving. And if you're not, you can talk to me later. <laughs> so uh, I introduced him last night, but I want to introduce him for the tape. You know, Jerry Hoffman is a dear friend, uh, an amazing man of God. You know, great businessmen are oftentimes brought into leadership in the churches. And, and because the church isn't a business, because the church is a family, uh, it flounders. Um, you know, Jerry Hoffman is an amazing uh, family man. And really, when he stands before King Jesus, King Jesus is probably not going to go, good job, you're a great executive director for Safeway Corporation. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to go, you were a man among men. You loved your wife. You had eyes only for her. And you uh, laid your life down sacrificially for Jane. And you were an example of what an awesome husband should be for your daughters. And you were a great father. And uh, you know that his kids are in the Lord and they're serving the Lord. And man, I'll tell you what, that's the measure of a man. Amen. Amen. I asked Jerry to do one of the two anchor uh, verses. The anchor verses are critical for piercing the darkness. You have to have basically foundation from which to jump into the darkness to make sure that we're sending the light into the world. And I appreciate Jerry's message last night. But Jerry's bringing it not only for us once again. So if you missed something, I'm, you, I'm sure you did, because we all do. And it's, it's good for the folks that are joining us now. So uh, uh, awesome. We have all sorts of people shining in now. So it's great. So appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer a little bit later, like real later on Sunday night when uh, Mike Harbor comes on board. I was going to steal his sermon, but this is probably very fortuitous on my part uh, to avoid the wrath of Mike Harbor. So with that, I'm going to bring Jerry Hoffman up. So let's give him a warm round of applause. Jerry Hoffman, great man of God. There you go, sir. So you're all wired up. Everything's on. That's great. Okay. I'll tell you what, it's warm up here, so I'm going to take off this over jacket if I can. That's fine. No problem. We're good. We're good. Who made that fire? It was not me. Okay, thanks, Ryan. It wasn't Ryan. It must have been the pyromaniac that trained him. That's better. Thank you. Well, I'll try to come up with some different jokes from last night. Although that line about Brian's driving and putting my mask over my eyes instead of over my over my mouth and nose was, I thought a good one, so. <laughs> All right, turn to Revelation chapter 14. 
<clears throat> title of the message is Competitive Perseverance. And the first half of it Bill asked me to do was to be uh, to lay the groundwork and to do the context of this passage in Revelation chapter 14. <clears throat> and then the second part of it, I chose to do a little bit about how we might uh, improve our, our uh, perseverance by competitiveness. And I'll explain that when we get there, but the biggest portion of the message is going to have to do with this passage in Revelation 14. <clears throat> Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints. Who are the saints? We are the saints. Christians are the saints. Here is the perseverance, excuse me, of us who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Let's pray. God, we pray for your blessings on the message this morning and on those who are listening and on me. Father, that I might deliver your words in the way that you would like them to be spoken. And we ask your blessing on those who are listening, that they'll hear the message you have in your word being delivered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> the world, and I think I would, would share with you, this is, um, I, I brought a copy of the study that Luke Wilson put together on the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and he admits in his uh, outline and so forth as he brings in the, the study that he tried to understand Revelation in in uh, chronological orders. Verse one, you know, verse one, chapter one. That's where I start, and then I go to two and three and four. That's not the nature of this book. The book is given to us with repetitive pictures, and the reason for the repetitive pictures maybe one picture connects for Mr. Bill Compton, and a different picture connects for Mr. Jerry Hoffman, and a different picture will connect for someone else. But they will connect. If you let it, if you let it. The book is not designed to be some kind of hidden, um, special, we can't quite understand it, don't really need to apply it, shouldn't think about it, don't ever read it book. God didn't write something for us so we wouldn't understand it. He could, but he didn't. It's understandable. In fact, the, the word itself means to reveal something. Aha. If, would God hide important information from you? Does he want you to be operating in the dark? Not against the dark, but we're the light. So we should, we should be able to. It's an uncovering. It's not hidden. It is understandable. The entire Bible is for us to understand. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, <clears throat> blessed is he who reads and those who hear. We always understand that hearing has to do with understanding and internalizing and applying. Those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is way, 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 way distant. Near is what it says. <clears throat> so I wanted to put some basics together to, to build this context for us. <clears throat> Turn over to Revelation chapter 16. And um, 
just a couple weeks ago, February 14th, Mr. Wilson delivered his last scheduled message to the Bozeman congregation. That's what he said at the end of it, but then he was on the schedule the very next week, so, you know, he'll be on the schedule a lot. We're not going to let Mr. Wilson get away with not preaching too much to us because he can't preach too much. But verse 16 and 16, he had done the 16, 16s through the Bible. So for Valentine's Day, his message to the church was, and they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Only Mr. Wilson would schedule that message for the Valentine's Day. But the message is out there, so go get it and listen to it. He does a better job, of course, than I do. But 16 through, we're going to start in chapter 16, verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Now in parentheses, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, who's the dragon? Satan. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20, verses one and two. In case anybody, a little confused on that. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Who is the devil? Who is Satan? The dragon. So when you're reading this book and you see the dragon, you know who we're talking about. The next one mentioned there in chapter uh, 16, verse 13, is the beast. Who is the beast? Government. Turn to Revelation 17, and verses 8 through 10. <clears throat> Oops, I turned to 8. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was, is not, and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life, Whose name is not written in the book of life? Non-Christians. Your names are written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, we'll wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heavens are seven mountains in which are the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other one has not yet come, and when he comes, he wants to remain a little while. <clears throat> what five dominating world powers have been before this time. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Who is the one who is while John is writing this revelation for us? Rome. Rome is no longer a world conquering power. Don't ever interpret this as the Holy Roman Empire. It's not about Catholicism. Back there to chapter 16, and verse 13 again, and the mouth of the false prophet. Now, who is the false prophet? Turn to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. <clears throat> verse 15. 
Jesus tells us who those false prophets are. So, so far, um, have I stuck to the scripture? I mean, has God defined his terms? Don't let anybody else change these definitions. When you change the definition, you change the meaning. So let's stick to what God has said. Verse 15, chapter 7, Matthew. Beware of the false prophets oh, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Anybody ever seen Joel Osteen? Anybody know who I'm talking about? Small congregation of about 140,000 people down in Houston, Texas. You ever seen Terry Paul Curry? He is a sheep. That's a sheep in wolf's clothing. You see the Pope with his rings and his hat and his gowns, and you know he walks out dressed with what fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of clothing on him. Just like Jesus, following in his footsteps. Anybody want to kiss my ring? Well, that's James' ring. Anybody want? I don't have one on this hand. Anybody want to kiss my ring? You're going to kneel down before the Pope and kiss his ring? False prophets. <clears throat> False prophets. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good, sorry, let me say it again. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is he going to do with the false prophets? Why, he's going to cut them down and throw them in the fire. A see between government, the dragon, the false prophet. Do you see a broad path and a very narrow path? How, how many people live in Lane County? Who knows? Yes. 500,000 people? 357 in Spuding Springfield, but they're small communities all over the county. Man, you guys, a lot of people over here. Going to hell forever. Here's the saved. There may be some handfuls out around us here that are not in this room, but there's not a whole bunch. What would what would be a reasonable number? We got 50 in here. Is it 100, 150, 200, 250? Is that all? Of those able to make a good decision, there's 250 out of 500,000? And am I under or overestimating? Not by much. Well, say, let's, let's say I'm off by half. Is 500 out of 500,000 a very good number? Somebody who's good at math. Josiah, what percent is 500 of 500,000? Give me a Take 500,000 divided by 500 and you'll get 1 1,000. 1 out of every 1,000? Good thing I wasn't your teacher this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who does the dragon hate? Church. Christ and his church. Who does the totalitarian government hate? 
Christ and his church. We'll talk about that a little more in a few seconds here, but <clears throat> it's here. And who does false religion hate? False religion isn't afraid of Joe Biden. I don't mean we should be afraid of Joe Biden. I mean him as representative. You know, he's holding senile. <laughs> who does a false religion hate? Christ in his church. Now we're not Christ, but his, we are his church. Who are your foes? Who are our foes? Who hates us? If they're all working in concert and that's what God told us, who hates us? The, everybody preaching a false truth, a false uh, gospel. Everybody who is part of this totalitarian government and willing to accept that. And everyone who is following the dragon who hates us. He couldn't wait. Hadn't been bound for a little bit. I'm not sure what progress would have been made. <clears throat> Back to Revelation 16 and verse 14. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which goes off to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. We've been at war. We've been at war since day one. I think Mr. Compton said it last night. There's been tribulation since day one. You encounter a little tribulation and you cower in the corner, hunker in the bunker. Should have a fourth or third or fourth one, but I forgot. You know, supposed to have threes, right? <clears throat> so the unification of the forces against Christ and the church is here. We take out that word near and change it to here. It's here. <clears throat> Verse 15, a parenthetical expression. Just drop right in the middle of this. We need this. You ever read John 10, 35? There's a parenthetical expression dropped right in there. The scripture cannot be broken. Scripture cannot be broken. It's right after he told us you are gods, those who believe this word. Can't be broken. Here's another parenthetical expression. He could have dropped it any place in this Bible. That's the nature of a parenthetical expression. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. <clears throat> he says, I am coming. I'm coming like a thief. Back in Matthew chapter 24. Remember, hey, Matthew 24 and Revelation, most misinterpreted verses in the scripture. Twisted, not misinterpreted, they're twisted. <clears throat> Starting in verse 43, Matthew 24, 43. Be, but be sure of this, that if the head of the household had known at what time of the night he, the thief was coming, it would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom the master put in charge of his household, <clears throat> excuse me, to give them their food at the proper time? Well, what's the food? I'm, Jesus said, you know, yeah, I'm getting food. My food is to do the will of God. You getting fed? Are you doing the will of God? 
<clears throat> Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. I am proud to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Put your brand mark on me. I don't want the mark of the beast on me. I want the mark of the Lord on me. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. What does he possess outside the church? Who's in charge? Well, Jesus is in charge, but we are given a responsibility. Does, does Jesus, does God have somebody here in the Lane County out of that half a million people whom he would like to see in his kingdom? Well, I don't know for sure, do I? But how will I find out for sure? I'll sit down, I'll watch my television set, I'll come in here on Lord's Day morning, I'll eat my little bit of loaf and bread, and I won't pay any attention to what that means at all, and then I'll hope Mr. Compton gets to that person. Good and faithful slave. What did he just say? I'm not sure, I'm not going to say it again. Verse 48, but if that evil slave says to his master, my master is not in his heart, right, excuse me, my master is not coming for a long time. Oh, Jesus is way out there. Why would I worry about that? Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we die. Verse 49, he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink and be with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him place with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus isn't being mean, he's telling the truth. It hurt. It doesn't hurt if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but it hurts a lot if you aren't. What's it have to do with Revelation chapter 16? <clears throat> Blessed is the one who stays awake. <clears throat> In Matthew 26, verses 40 through 43, the, Jesus is going up there and he's praying. He goes off and he prays. He comes back an hour later and, and three of the, the apostles that closest to him. What? You guys are sleeping. You know, we got this mamby-pamby picture of Jesus. You really need to walk up and look down at him and gently rub their little shoulders and say, <laughs> We needed him to make that passage for us so we understood what he meant. Can't you stay awake with me for even one hour? That one hour part's pretty important. And the one who keeps his clothes and doesn't walk about naked and men will not see his shame. I would be ashamed to be standing up here with no clothes on. I wouldn't get out from behind this pulpit, that's for sure. <laughs> There's no shame in a baby being naked, is there? All babies in this room, raise your hand. Okay, the rest of you better not be ashamed. You're old enough to be making a difference in this world. You better be doing it and putting the clothes on. Turn to Revelation chapter 19 and verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> Let us rejoice and be glad 
and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. When we get done with this Armageddon, we get to have that marriage. It was given up to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Which clothing is Jesus talking about in Revelation 16 when he says, I'm coming like a thief, stay awake and have your clothes on. The bright and fine linen, the act, the deeds that we do. I surely do not want to be wearing only one sock. I got one knee. I want to be dressed and ready. We'll be. What's our part in it? Verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Isaiah 22 talks about this, but <clears throat> we also have great pictures in Judges. Chapters 4 and 5. I'm not going to go back and read those two. I'm going to give you a synopsis. The forces were against Christ and his church that we're talking about here are all aligned for the great war, and it is set. But that battle is described in the physical realm back there in Judges. Jabin is the king of the of, of the uh, Canaan, and Sisera is the commander of his army, and they're against uh, Israel, and there doesn't look to be any hope for Israel. They basically are weaponless. Here comes this big, massive army. What was it, 900 chariot, iron chariots? Is that correct? Who's an Old Testament? I'm doing that off the top of my head. I think it's 900 iron chariots. You ever been standing there with nothing and having a the horse? Horses are bad anyway. I mean, you get on top of them, they throw you off. <laughs> Lydia likes horses, but nobody else that I know of likes horses. They're big, they're mean, and they'll run right over you. Yeah, I'm afraid of horses. Especially if one's charging at me and there's a guy in an iron chariot driving. Like maybe the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Hmm. What's my weapon? A woman, Deborah, gets Barak and, and says, look, let's, let's, we can do this. And he said, well, not unless you help me. I won't do it. And he said, well, then she says to him, well, then the woman's going to get credit. And that's the way it turns out in the end of the story. But <clears throat> Israel has no weapons, no spears, no shields. But she persuades him to depend on Yahweh, to depend on God. When the battle is fought, guess who wins? overwhelmingly conquering. It's not Jabin. It's not Sisera. I think he gets something driven right through his temple. Yeah. Oh, look, it's the false prophet. It's this dragon. It's world government. It's the beast. And that, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> we get to do that. <clears throat> the people, the Lord helps his people to gain a great victory. That's the physical picture up on the broad plain. Revelation talks about the broad plain in the camp of the saints. But our battle is not physical, it's spiritual. But you, you just don't get to see that happening. Get the picture in here. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> verses 1 through 10 is what we're going to cover here. 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to, of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would no longer deceive the nations. That's a code word for Christian Gentiles, Gentile Christians, any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Satan has been bound for a thousand years. What's, what do we call those thousand years in a general term? Church age, right? He's been bound for a thousand years during the church age. He's been held back. He's been, he's been uh, limited. You ever seen a nasty looking dog on a long chain? He, he was still a nasty looking dog on a long chain, but he was on a chain. He's going to be loosed for a short season. Well, when's that going to happen? Now? Now? Released for a short time. Can you not pray for me one hour? Can we not hang in for a short time based on what's coming right now down the pipe? Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We got this experimental drug and it'll take care of COVID. It'll light up. Okay. It's an experimental drug. I don't know what it's going to do to people. Line up. Okay. Me first. What's the matter with us? Then I saw those thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. You ready to be beheaded? Is it okay if that happens? You think... When the world armies begin to march, it's going to be a fun and pleasant thing. When they march through here, it's not going to be Pleasant Hill. It might be Boot Hill. Boot Hill. Heel. You know, like they pronounce some words. Heel. <laughs> it's not going to be good. And those who had not worshipped the beast received his image. And they came to life and reigned with him for a thousand years. We had one death. We survived it. It was the spiritual death and the watery grave. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. That's the non-Christian. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's us. Over these, the second death has no power. Nothing to worry about. I'm not looking forward to dying other than the aspect that once I leave this body, I get to go to heaven and be with Jesus Christ. Faith becomes sight. I'm excited about that part, but I have seven grandchildren whom I love tremendously. You think I really want to see them going through what's coming? No, I don't. But it's coming. It's not for me to try to stop it. It's for me to try to make sure they get through it. Amen. Amen. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God. You are a priest, a holy royal priesthood. Are you or are you not? We are. We are. 
And if Christ will reign with him for a thousand years, I've been a royal, what's a royal person do? They reign. We've been reigning and we've been the priest and the unification of both the priesthood and the kingdom were in one person in Jesus Christ and through him us. When the thousand years, when that church age are completed, they're done. Satan will be released from his prison. That's not good. And will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Oh, I don't know, what, seven, seven and a half billion? That's a lot. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth. Judges, chapter four and five, came up on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints. That's us. That's the church and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Is the beloved city a location on the earth? Is it Eugene, Oregon? No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> no, yeah, there's way too much rain here for it to be a broad plain. Um, is uh, Bozeman, Montana? Olivet? No. Ghana? No, it's all those places, but it's spiritual. And when we participate in that Lord's Supper, it doesn't matter whether we're sitting in Bozeman or sitting in Ghana, we're participating in the same Lord's Supper. This is not at the same time, but in the same way. Let's make sure we understand time is a relative thing and put in only place for us who are physical. <sighs> we're surrounded. Look to, is that east over there because the sun's coming up? Yes, sir. Okay. You look to the east, we're surrounded. And you look to the west and we're surrounded. You look to the north and we're surrounded. You look to the south and we're surrounded. They are all around us. Where are you going to escape big government? Hmm? Where are you going to escape? They're tracking this. They're, the machines are capable of keeping records of this. They know you're here. When they decide that they're not going to allow you to assemble together, they will know and they will swoop in. They'll arrest us and they'll take us to jail and they'll call us white supremacists and other things like that and throw us in jail. Or whatever they have to call us. They'll call us racists. What's the one for uh, not liking women? Misogynists. Yes, okay, yeah. That was in the back of my head, but it got confused, and I was thinking maybe that was what they do for breast cancer, and that, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's a vasectomy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> Can we back this up and start over again? <laughs> okay, so now that I don't have my clothes on. <clears throat> Camp of the Saints is surrounded. <laughs> You've done that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, preachers at least can. Yeah, now the sweat's coming. <laughs> and the devil who, de who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. We heard about the false prophets being thrown into the lake of fire. Now we hear that the, the devil, that's, that's the, the uh, dragon, is being thrown into the lake of fire in, uh, in Brinstone where the beast... And the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Seven plus billions of people alive today 
And the camp of the saints is surrounded and is not even one in 1,000 on the narrow path. 999 in our analogy are on the broad path and we're on the narrow path. How much, how wide does that path have to be to pass 500 people? How broad does it have to be to put 999, uh, 499,500 on it, going the other way. And how long will they be tormented? Day and night forever and ever. It never stops. It never gets better. Oh, Abraham, send him over with just, just a little tiny little drop on the tip of his finger that he might so slack my thirst. Nope. There's a chasm between us and them. It's too late to try to save them when they're in hell. We can't do it. Now, the fact that the camp of the saints is surrounded does not mean that the gates of Haiti will prevail against her. We go in and we get them. That was last night. Back to our text, 14. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, we did, I died in the Lord, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds will follow that with them. And I'm going to get an eternal rest as opposed to an eternal torment. <clears throat> if I persevere. Man. Oh boy, I see the finish line, I quit. Shooty. Oh, I'm that close. I must count, right? I mean, this is a loving God. I got close, didn't I, Lord? Lord, Lord, didn't I cast up the end of your name? I never knew you. We can't just get close. We got to cross the line. That's what perseverance is about. <clears throat> There's power in here. Where's that power come from? Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, 15 and 16. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Where was the power of Christ? Now, he had the ability to walk on water and heal people and those sorts of things too. Make sure that when you read the context about the word power, you know which power the scriptures are referencing there. <clears throat> I don't have the power to resurrect anybody physically. But I can go into the water and help them to be resurrected spiritually. Amen. I get to do what he did. Power of an indestructible life has to do with the character Amen. of that life. When Jesus walks through that crowd who's trying to throw him over the edge of the cliff, he, you know, it, it, it wasn't so mystical. He disappeared and, you know, he used some kind of a uh, power of a, of a different nature. Uh, and, and so they couldn't see him anymore and their eyes were blinded. And, you no, know, that's not what happened. He walked through the crowd. 
and nobody would touch him. So our mamby-pamby Jesus could put some such a face and force of character together that no one would touch him. I'm not going to touch that guy. Oh, no, no. Here, Mel, you go get him. <laughs> nope. We're not touching him. Is your character such that you can walk through the crowd that is at the gates of hell and go get a Christian and bring a person who's going to be a Christian and bring them out? Or is your character such that you are afraid of the gate? Oh, look, there's a gate. Can't go in, huh? Lord, boy, I worked hard for you today, didn't I? Gates can't prevail against you. Nothing can stop you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we get a what seemed to me an odd um, uh, phraseology. <clears throat> and, I, and I had to work on it a little bit and talk to Mr. Wills, make sure I'm getting it right, and he helped me with this. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 4, 19. But I will come to you, this is the Apostle Paul, soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Was he going to see whether or not they could uh, heal sick people? No. Because if you read the chapters leading up to it, the ones following after it, he had to go deal with some <gasps> sin in the camp. Wasn't acceptable. You get that guy out of here. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. If my words are hollow because my character doesn't back them up, who's going to pay attention to what I have to say? Right. Why do we listen to Mr. Steve Doty? Well, he's a very entertaining speaker. Really? You haven't been hearing the words he said? Being a spiritual warfighter? You weren't listening? You're laughing at his wonderful jokes when he tells you about how Mr. Compton makes coffee in Russia? Never forget. <laughs> I've been waiting for Bill to do that again so I could take pictures and have a video. I could, millions of hits, you know, you just, you know that would happen. <clears throat> for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power, in your character, the power of perseverance. What do you desire, that I should come to you with a rod, or with love and the spirit of gentleness? Hey, I've been working on my character for a lot of years. Truly have. Trying to get that character aligned with the character of Christ. But I read about the character of Paul and I say, hmm, I might have some work to do yet. When Paul shows up and he was short in his uh, demeanor as a person and, and he shows up, he's going to take a line. Whose character is going to win here? Paul. Be sure of it. You want the rod? Or gentleness. Well, I prefer gentleness, please. Straighten up. That's why we are supposed to deliver the rod to the child, is so that when we come to them with gentleness, they understand we love them. We were we were willing to love them enough to give them the rod as a, as a little one, so that when they're a little bigger, getting towards Chloe's age, you don't use a rod anymore. You're beginning to use the gentleness, but the rod's still behind it. Which do you want, Lord? Please, I don't want the rod. Okay, so I want to talk about the perseverance part. It's that word H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E, hupo nome. 
remaining behind, steadfast, being patient. We got to deliver, we got to develop perseverance. Second Peter chapter one, <clears throat> in verses four through eight, we get this uh, kind of stair step, if you will, the spiral staircase, the seven habits of uh, highly effective people becomes the eight character of the Christian, character qualities. To your faith, you're gonna add what? Anybody? Moral excellence. Moral excellence. Another word for that used to be used to virtue. Moral excellence or virtue. To your virtue you're going to add or your moral excellence you're going to add knowledge. What are you going to add to your knowledge? Self-control. You need to get that knowledge in so you can get the self-control so you can add perseverance. To your per perseverance, you're going to add godliness. To your godliness, brotherly kindness. To your brotherly kindness, love. <clears throat> don't have to. You don't have to do them one tiny step at a time. You can work on all of those character qualities at the same time, right? But some critical parts in there. Self control. We can't get there without it. First Corinthians chapter nine, twenty four through twenty seven. Do you not know? <laughs> you know, when, whenever you read, do you not know, you should say, oh, I should have known this. <laughs> do you not know? Jesus uses it a whole bunch. Do you not know? <laughs> What's the matter with you guys? <laughs> you hear that from your math teacher, Josiah. It's, uh, it suggests that you should have known it by this time. <laughs> Just pick it out a little bit. Sure do like this young man. 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? I'm going to run as hard as I can for seconds. I really don't want the prize. You know, it wasn't a nice enough prize. So I'll just come in seconds so I don't have to take the prize. In this case, the prize is eternal life. I'm going to run just close enough not to get eternal life. I'm going to run in that race, but I don't want to win. What? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises, oh, self-control. In all things, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable eternal life. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. That's what my grandkids do. I got a picture from Anna today, a little lady, he's six years old, and she said he's girded up for the day. He's got his sword in both, one in each hip, and then he found his daddy's presentation sword, so he's wandering around the house with a real sword, and this thing's all over his hip. Man, I'd stay away from there today, but <laughs> he wanted all the weapons he could get. Yeah, I'll put one in this belt, and then one in this loop, and over here, and stick something here, and I'm ready. Let's take, oh, he was putting on the armor. That breastplate, helmet, shield, loins girded, feet shod. Nah. Hard to run in armor, huh? Don't go into battle without it. So let's talk a little bit about what my topic heading was in the next 10 minutes. 
competitive perseverance. Sir Edmund Hillary, he's the man who first climbed, well, it's white privilege, it was white guy, first climbed Mount Everest. We don't know, but probably them Sherpas got up there first, and we, but we don't count yeah, them. because. <sighs> it is not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. He had already decided in his head he could do it. If he had decided in his head, we're going to make an attempt today, where do you think they would have stopped? It wouldn't have been the top, would it? I'm not going to get to the highest point in the whole world, but why would I want my name to go down in history? Why would I want my name written in a book of life? So some of the ways that I'm trying to develop this thought of competitive perseverance has to do with what you're going to do with yourself to build your character from the inside into my perseverance. Some of the places I compete was with the IRS every year, me against them. They want as much as they can get. I want them to get as little as I can get. Give them. <clears throat> Not so many years ago, turned in my taxes. A year later, I got a note from the IRS says, we don't accept your charitable donations. You owe us $17,000. <laughs> Panic rolls in. You know, here's this letter. And, and so I called my accountant who helped me put my taxes together. He said, oh, don't worry. Sure, easy for you to say. You're not the guy who's going to jail writing checks. $17,000, i would have to put Jane to work. She'd have to get a job. <laughs> and you think that's going to go over any good, Jane? We didn't pay the taxes, so you got to work? Yeah. yeah. It would have been an ugly scene. <laughs> it was, as it was, you know, there's teeping, weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> <But clears throat> all they wanted to do was throw out everything I did in a charitable. Yeah. That's all. What happens when they stop it? It's coming. Yes, that's right. It's right here. It's already being bandied about as a new change to our tax code so that money that you give to help this congregation to be successful will not be tax deductible. Are we social tithers or not? I don't believe so. I think the church will still be successful because God said it will be. But they're going to stop it. And what it does, there's only so much money, right? There's only so much. And when the government gets a bigger bite out of that chunk of money because they took it first, there's going to be less to go other places. But the needs of the church will not have diminished a single bit. Are you prepared to sacrifice the difference? If my check returned from the federal government after they took the money and they give it back is, is smaller, am I prepared to find a way to make up the $500 so that the church can continue to do their work? Competitive with the IRS. I was competitive when I was starting into the, my career in the grocery business with stocking the shelves. I wanted to be able to pick up four cans in each hand at the same time. Case of 24, three moves. One, two, three, done. Who is the fastest in the grocery store at stocking the shelves? Well, I don't know, but it was, as far as I'm concerned, it was me. I did everything I could. When I was uh, back east many, many years ago at the, at the prayer clinic, uh, Clarence Greenleaf, was, who had started like 40 congregations there in that um, kind of the West Virginia 
Virginia area right there. <clears throat> uh, he said when he was a young man, they had that, they gave a dollar when they went into their Bible study morning, you know, Sunday morning. And so he, he decided in his head he, next year he'd give $2 and the following year is $3. When it got to $24 each time, $23, he wasn't able to keep going because he was given $100 a month just in the Bible study time. Didn't have a, he, he, he couldn't keep going $1 or more because he was, his earnings began to drop down as he got older. Malachi 4.10 says, bring the whole tithe. Clarence Greenlee demonstrated to me as I was listening to him that the whole tithe was not the $1, but the $23. It's, it's giving and giving and giving. And God said, give the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. When the Bible says, when God says, test me, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to test him. We test him because we trust him. We test him because we know that he loves us and he's going to do the right thing for us. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. It, the most generous people I've ever met are the ones who have the least issues with their income. I don't think it started that way. I think it developed that way until their character drove their generosity, which drove God in his, in his promises to us to give to them the blessings of heaven. <clears throat> Went kayaking with my wife in Hawaii, I think. Uh, at, we think of it as a very funny story now. And We were leading the parade of those who were kayaking, and, and uh, Jane was in the front and I was in the back, and this other couple started to catch up to us. Because we were at first. <clears throat> and uh, so I started paddling a little faster. I'm paddling faster and she's not doing work. So I said, gee, you got to paddle faster. They're, they're trying to beat us. <laughs> it looked like a propeller before we got done. I mean, you know, a motorboat. We beat them. Sometimes you need a partner. Pick up your partner. Mike Ferguson's here. His mom is my partner. Because she likes to, she can get studies with females. I'm not going to go into a female's house alone. I need a partner with me. So the two of us go, we have a great time. We've had three people we've worked with over the last couple of years here. We lost one of them. After someone in the congregation asked this woman, are you an illegal alien? Probably not the best thing to have said. We immersed the other one. And we've been working with Caden's grandma for a couple years, and, and she's making great progress. I really believe we see a change in her character. Happy to do that. I, I, I want to talk quickly about competitive snow shoveling. I'm, I'm big into competitive snow shoveling. I, I mentioned last night when I had the privilege of doing, getting there and doing the walks in the, at the church building uh, in uh, Bozeman. In the back of my mind, when it's 40 below zero, and the snow's on the ground, and the ladies, the teachers, the kids are about to arrive, there was one thing I wanted to do. I want to make sure those walks were safe for Miss Carrie. That's the mental picture I had. I wasn't too worried about Keaton, you know, or Josiah. I mean. <laughs> the boys would prefer it with slippers so they could slide around, but I didn't want her to fall. 
I don't want her to fall. I love her. I don't want her to fall. It would have broken my heart. But across the street from me, where I live, there's a woman named Tracy. Her dad was one of those who was put into the camps here in the United States, the Japanese camps, internment camps during World War II. He was really young. <clears throat> Tracy did a better job of shoveling out her driveway, her sidewalks, into the street, you know, she, and um, he did a great job. <laughs> I can't better reason. So now I shovel my sidewalk, I shovel my driveway, I shovel out into the street, and pile it all up. It's gotten about that high before it started to melt last week. But <clears throat> it gets harder and harder to throw that snow but it was the right thing to do. And so now I shovel out halfway and she shovels, you know, if she goes out eight trips, then I go out nine, you know, just got, <laughs> can't help myself. It's just built into me, I'm gonna compete. <clears throat> In my prayer life, I look to people who are doing a better job than I am and say, can I do that? People in my prayer life who are doing a better job, the lots. They, they pray about that list every night. I can do better. And the people who I, I want to develop my love, that's one of those eight characteristics of building blocks in um, Second Peter. I want to build my love. In the, I'm going to give you examples from the Sutton family. It's also true of the Compton family and of the Hirsches, where my daughter stayed with them for a year. And my, their favorite boarder, I understand, I didn't care was uh, Davis, right? He's the only male he had along the way. Yeah. Well, that makes him number one. <laughs> He's a white male, you know, privilege. Just thought I'd throw that out there. You wanted a good example of a loving couple? Look at the Suttons, Phil and Paula. They demonstrate it all the time. The people in Bozeman have been privileged to see it, and I am so thankful that they came to our congregation. You see, their love for their children, like I said uh, the first time through on this message, I don't think your kids are ever moving out. So they said, that's okay. They're just gonna charge them to live there. <laughs> that's what Phil told me afterwards. No, he didn't, he didn't do that. Their love for the congregation. You need something, you ask the Suttons and they find a way to do it. Jean had a good friend who was moving away uh, not even that close, and and she needed some help getting some stuff moved out of her apartment. I'm not sure even where it was, and and so Jane talked to Phil because Phil kind of had an in with the older uh, young men in the in the uh, congregation there, and and uh, that particular day we were scheduled to go boating with the Hershes. So while we were boating, Jane and I, Phil and his family was over cleaning, working for that lady. Hmm. I think they did it because they love us. And they love her, hope that have some impact on her and get her soul saved. They love my, my family. They love the Ashleys. It was Mrs. Sutton who reminded me that uh, Sarah had asked if we couldn't send some notes to Peter. What? Mrs. Sutton had to tell me to remind me about my grandson? Who loves him more? Well, it would look like it's Paula. That's to my shame. I guess I just took off some more clothing, huh? 
she puts them on. You go to potluck and there's for sure going to be food there because they make sure. Guess who cleans the restrooms? In Bozeman. Integrity cleaning, integrity cleaning, integrity cleaning. They take care of that. They're not busy at all. They got an hour to drive in and clean those bathrooms and drive out. Yeah, no. I could do it, but I'm watching television. What? Bible studies, hospitality. Anybody wants to come to family camp? They'll find a place for you. Might be outside, but they'll, there's only so much room in the house, right, Bill? <clears throat> they'll make room for you. They love you, and they'll just treat you like you are the most important thing going on right now. They always have for us. Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore I exhort you, you be imitators of me. Sometimes we can't quite see Jesus. We can see those people who are walking in front of us, and you imitate Bill Compton, and you imitate Phil and Paul. You imitate Steve Doty. You find somebody who's doing it better than you, and you imitate them. That's competitive. Who are you being competitive with? That guy in your head. <clears throat> Paul further later in that same 1 Corinthians uh, book he wrote be imitators of me just as I am also of Christ he's following the right footsteps you follow in his footsteps if Bill's in his footsteps of Christ or in the footsteps of Paul who's in the footsteps of Christ follow him do we do you desire to have a Christ like power <clears throat> an apostle Paul like power then develop a character like theirs Spend time with these people, learn from them, and Im imitate positive people. You won't be negative. Power of positive. Can you put up a... It's going to happen. Pardon me? It'll happen. It'll happen. Keaton fell down on the job. You know? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you want power that demonstrates the power of sincerity, spend, people with pe spend time with people and learn from them and imitate sincere people. You want the power of presence you spend time with, you learn from, and you imitate people who demonstrate the power of presence in their life. Revelation 14, 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We can persevere. We can have the power of character. We can keep his commandments. We can have faith. We can be positive. We can be sincere. We can have the power of his presence. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly. And we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Let's go ahead and stand up and grab your songbooks and turn to number 351.